Hey church, good morning. Buenos dias. Today I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 13. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning, Storehouse family. I am very, very excited to share some wonderful news with you this morning. It pertains to uh, our preacher for this morning. Uh, his name is Alan Morales. Many of you know Alan. He is a faithful member of our church and I just want to take a moment to tell you a little bit about Alan and then to encourage you with one thing. Alan, as I mentioned, is a faithful member of our church. He's a loving husband. He has been our summer intern for the last two summers. He has written uh, both of our devotionals, the one in which you were gifted regarding the parables and last year's uh, devotional on Ruth. He also serves as our student director for our junior high and high school students. Alan is my little brother in the faith. He is a wonderful friend uh, and definitely one of the coolest guys that I know. He is definitely one who loves God's word. He cherishes God's word and I know that it is a joy for him to preach God's word to you this morning. Here's one thing that I want to encourage you on this morning. The very first time that I preached in front of our congregation, I was 23 years old. I was a Christian for maybe a year and a half. I was freaking out and scared. And many of you who were there supported me by simply being present uh, and at the same time cheering me on. And I thank you for that. Me being one of, or me being your pastor is definitely the result of your discipleship. And so let me encourage you, as Alan comes forward, as our young brother comes forward to preach God's word to you this morning, pray for him, support him, uh, encourage him, because uh, this is a tremendous moment. It is a tremendous occasion. I'm excited to see Alan preach, and I know that you will be blessed by our ingrown, homegrown, that's a better word, right? Our homegrown preacher, Alan Morales. Well, good morning. Uh, it's it's an honor to be here with you. As Marco said very kindly, I am one of the members here, and uh, we're going to be going through Matthew chapter 13, uh, verses 31 through 33. And as you find yourself there or open your Bibles or scroll, I just two quick things. If you're new to Storehouse, welcome. Thank you so much for, for being here. It's an honor to host you. Um, and we would really like to take you out, um, maybe to lunch, dinner, whatever uh, your flavor of a good time is. We would like to do that for you just to get to know you. Or uh, if you simply have questions about the church, we have these connect cards. You could find them sitting there, uh, one of your chairs. You could fill some of those out. 
as many of you of them as you want. You could go ahead and uh, put them back into the connect desk, which is in the back of the church, and put it in the box, and somebody will get back to you. Secondly, if you don't have a Bible, we'd really love to give you one. There are some ESV blue Bibles that are there in your chairs. We would really just like it for you to come alongside of us as we uh, explore God's Word together. So with that being said, hopefully you found your way to Matthew chapter 13, and, and I'm going to kind of uh, introduce this by, by giving you a little bit about myself. And so as uh, some of you know, I am a PE coach and uh, a, a teacher there at Cassie Middle School here in McAllen, and one of the things that, that I love doing, and certainly one of my passions, is football. Football is one of those things that, that, that really makes the fall busy semester worth it for me. However, it wasn't always the case. When I was in college, I uh, volunteered virtually every year of my time at some type of uh, football organization or football program. And to be honest, it was pretty bad because I don't think anybody likes to volunteer their time. But through, through in that, I learned a lot of things, and, and uh, some of that stuff came through doing the, what we like to call the grunt work, the things that nobody likes doing. So I would be laminating play sheets, handing out itineraries, equipment checking, being dummies at football practice, all of those things uh, I had to do for, for five years. And I remember thinking to myself, surely this isn't it. Surely I'm not, I'm not going to go out and, 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 and be doing this forever. Thank the Lord found grace on me, and that's not the case. However, we all have some type of story of humble beginnings. It might not be your career, but maybe your living situation. I know Eric and Marco have, have talked to me a lot about uh, their, current, uh, their past uh, living situations before they got married and the things that they did have, the things that they didn't have. And so th there's, there is this, this reality of humble beginnings. And this is a reality that the disciples found themselves in this chapter 13 of Matthew as Jesus was getting closer and closer to his crucifixion, there were only about 12. And uh, Jesus kept on talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And I'm sure if you were part of the disciples, you'd ask what kingdom if there's only 12. And so this was something that I, I'm pretty sure the disciples found troubling. However, as we see today, the Lord gives us encouragement. And so I want to give you the, the, the greater picture, the main idea before I go into prayer and, and we start and we dive in. And this is it. This is the main idea of, of chapter 13, verses 31, 33. Though the kingdom of God faces opposition, it will prevail. That's what Jesus is saying. Though the kingdom of God faces opposition, it will prevail. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your church. We thank you for your kingdom. We pray that, that we would come to understand the depths and mysteries of your kingdom as we navigate this chapter 13 of Matthew. 
We know that your words are infinitely way more valuable than our opinions and our thoughts. So we pray that your, wor your, your, your word holds us captive today as we ponder the reality and the vastness of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is what we're going to do this. We're going to go ahead and, and unpack our main idea into three points. Three simple points. And, and we're going to analyze both of these parables at the same time. And so why would we do that? Well, because I'm pretty sure here like cells, right? The, this parable is uh, you get one, you get one free. You understand one, you understand the other one free. So we're going to go ahead and, and transition into the three points. And those three points are the kingdom, the opposition, and the hope. The kingdom, the opposition, and the hope. And so we will start with the kingdom first, because in order to understand what Jesus is saying, we need to understand what the kingdom of heaven is. Within this chapter, we find what, what many scholars and theologians know as the kingdom parables or, or the parables of the kingdom, because they talk about the kingdom. And so in order to under, really understand what Jesus is talking about, we need to know what this kingdom is. And so this is what our Lord says in Matthew 13, chapter 31. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 33, he told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like. And so certainly when we read this, we can see the, the repetition of the kingdom of God, which means this is important. We, we need to understand what this, this means. And so in order to understand what the kingdom, I really just want to give you three things about the kingdom, or what I call the three S's about the kingdom, that will put the kingdom of God into perspective so that we could really understand what this kingdom is. And so the first kingdom, the first S of the kingdom is that the kingdom is synonymous. The kingdom is synonymous. So when we read here when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is synonymous with the kingdom of God. So in the Bible, whenever we read the kingdom of heaven, it's used interchangeably with the kingdom of God. Now that might seem a little bit too easy, and it is meant to be just a point of clarification so everybody's on the same page. When the Bible speaks about the kingdom of God, it's talking about the kingdom of heaven. It's the same kingdom. Secondly, the second S the kingdom is secret. The kingdom is secret. Or if you want to understand it a better way, the kingdom is hidden. And so as we, as we go through these parables, there's a, there's a misconception about these parables that's been around for a really long time. And that misconception is that Jesus spoke in parables so that he would help his disciples understand what he was saying. That's the misconception. To help people better understand what he's saying, but actually, that's the complete opposite of the purpose why he told parables. So let's go ahead and, and make our way over to Matthew chapter 13, verse 10, before he even starts getting into the parable of the kingdom as we're discussing today. This is what the word of God says, verse 10, chapter 13. Then 
the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? I didn't invent the question, they did. Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Jesus spoke the parables to hide his kingdom. Now you say, why would, why would he do that? Well, because this was a judgment. Cha chapter 13 of Matthew, this is where he starts speaking in parables. Before that, he hadn't. He had been straight up teaching them. Yet, they still disobeyed. Yet, they still did not listen. So, so Jesus hid the kingdom from them. This was a judgment on those hearing. And a couple of verses later, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 13, he says, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. They saw these things. They still didn't believe. Jesus proclaimed to be the Messiah. They still didn't believe. Jesus saw, um, they saw Jesus do miracles. They still didn't believe. Verse 11. Again, the, the hiddenness of a kingdom. And if we go down to verse 15 of chapter 13, it says, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see their eyes, see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. This was a judgment on the people for their non-belief, unbelief. And so then the question then arises, how can one see the kingdom of God if it's hidden, if Jesus hid it? Well, I think he has, answers that question in verse 15 when he says, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. That's how one sees the kingdom of God. One can only see the kingdom of God if the Holy Spirit dwells in them. That's the reality. Those who are born again. And this leads us to our last S about the kingdom. The only reason that's the case is because the kingdom of God is spiritual. It's a spiritual kingdom. When we, when we, when we go back to chapter 18 of the book of John, you don't have to go there. I could go ahead and read it off, but... Everybody, everybody thought that Jesus was here for a political purpose. That's and, uh, uh, our friend Chris Ryan that was uh, our preacher last Sunday made note of this, and it's true. Everybody thought Jesus was here for a power move, a big political shift. However, that was not the case. Jesus was here for a spiritual purpose, not for a political one. And so as he's ex having this exchange with Pilate before he's going to get crucified, in John chapter 18, verse 36, they, they, they get into it. And Jesus tells Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. The, the kingdom of heaven... The kingdom where Jesus reigns is not of this world. He says it twice so that there would be no mistake. 
Then verse 37 in John chapter 18, Then Pilate said to him, So you are king. But Jesus answered, You say that I am king. For this purpose I was born, and for the purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And we get a little picture here of the hiddenness of the kingdom. So Jesus is saying, yes, I am a king, just not of this kingdom. Not of this material kingdom that we see before us. And then he says, and really only those who hear my voice can see this kingdom. And to further solidify this, we all know the stories of Nicodemus and the Pharisee. What did Jesus say? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven and these parables of the mustard seed and parables of the leaven, this is a kingdom he's talking about, one that is synonymous, one that is secret, and one that is spiritual. That's the kingdom of God. And so let's refocus on our parables Know that we've been jumping quite a bit, but let's refocus on our parables. Chapter 13 of Matthew, verses 31 through 33. And now we're moving on to our second point. We saw the kingdom. Now we're going to see the opposition. Jesus says in verse 31, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in the field. Verse 33, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. And so, although at first this doesn't sound like opposition, let's just backtrack a little bit before he got to these parables. What did he just finish telling his disciples? Well, he finished telling them the parables of the sower and the parables of the weed. And what we learn from these parables is that there is opposition in the kingdom. And the kingdom faces opposition. And really, the, there's, from, from these parables, we learn two things about this opposition. One, that is, this opposition is internal. And two, the opposition is external. But let's first tackle what it means for the opposition to be internal so that we could better understand this parable. And so again, as far as misconceptions goes, there's this big misconception that really human beings are not all that bad. It's really their environment. And the reason why human beings get bad is because they're around in their environment and that kind of rubs off on them. But in reality, you know, human beings are good in nature. But that's not biblical. Now, I agree the environment that we're in can play a lot, but it can only amplify what's already there. It only amplifies our sin. And cause us to sin more, our environment matters. But that's not the root of the problem. Our environment is not the root of our problem. The root of it is within us, our own sinful nature. And Jesus tackled this in Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23, as he's talking to the Pharisees, because the Pharisees claim to be self-righteous. And they were still under that idea that, you know what, I can't eat this and I can't eat that because I'm pure from the inside. And if I eat this food, that's just going to corrupt me. So I'm going to stay away from certain people. But part of that was staying away from people who've touched reptiles. Imagine going on your whole life 
avoiding people who have touched a reptile. That's insane. And so Jesus tells these people in verse 20 of Mark chapter 7, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Defile means unclean, corrupt, dirty. It's within us. So I'm going to take a moment here and, and, and be real because some of us excuse or justify our sin simply by saying, well, the reason I'm this way is because this person and so-and-so in this type of situation. But when we do that, we are justifying our sin by, by not getting to the root of the sin. We understand sometimes life is tough. That's agreeable. I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't negate that, 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 that's accurate. But sometimes we just stay there and stay there and stay there. Before you know it, we're, we're there 10 years saying, well, the reason why I sin is because of this person or this, this, that situation. Stop. Repent. We cannot keep living our life that way because Sin compartmentalizes. It's not just one small thing. It's a disease. It spreads. Before we justify, before we know it, when we justify one sin, we're justifying the other. And so true repentance comes from, from acknowledging this fallen nature. Knowing that we're falling. But it's also knowing that we have a great Savior. Our next point, the external, the opposition that is external and, but what I mean by that is factors other than our sinfulness that are, our, are outside of us. Because Jesus made it very clear, there's something wrong within us. Something very wrong within us. So what is this external? What is this um, opposition? Well, that's Satan. That's what we learned from the two parables. And I said it's Satan. We either two go two extremes. We either don't acknowledge Satan when he's in the Bible or, or uh, we over-spiritualize Satan. But we do have to acknowledge him because Satan is real. What does Matthew chapter 4 say? As Jesus went to go and fast, he, he, he was tempted by the devil, verse 3 says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become leavened bread, loaves of bread. But he answered to them, It is written, and then we all know what Jesus rebuttals with. But he's real. He's a threat. It's an opposition. First Peter even, even tells, tells us, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He takes it serious. That's why we can't just not acknowledge him and, and, and pretend like everything's okay, that we don't have an enemy. We do have an enemy, and he's an enemy of our souls. So I ask you, how, how serious do you take sin? Because Satan takes it serious. Satan works with our fallen nature. 
He's a tempter. We need to start taking sin a lot more serious. Because Satan's on a mission. And that's to oppose the kingdom of God. That's a reality. That's what the Bible speaks of. And so, what does everything I have just said have to do with the parables of the mustard seed and the parables of the leaven? Well, at this point, if you're one of the parables and you've been, if you're one of the disciples and you've been listening to Jesus' parables, up to this point, you're hearing all the opposition. The parable of the sower, out of three only one are truly converted. Parable of the weeds, well, we're going to be growing with self-deceived individuals, false converts, and you're only 12, you would be thinking, man, we're going to get wiped out. Jesus keeps on talking about the kingdom of God. There's only 12 of us, but with all of this opposition going around, we're just going to be toast. How could the kingdom of God ever stand a chance with all of this opposition that it's facing outside and within? And so Jesus knowing what the disciples must have been thinking, he reiterates that opposition into both of these parables of the mustard seed and of the leaven. And so if you were one of the disciples and you hear Jesus say, well, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, you would have been shocked. What do you mean a mustard seed? And we know that the mustard seed is at that time in Palestine was the smallest known mustard seed. Uh, smallest known seed it was about two millimeters in height and so the disciples must have been shocked uh, kingdom and we're going to be a mustard seed all plus this opposition and then when he gets to leaving leaving is like uh, is uh, the king the kingdom of heaven is like leaving that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour three measures of flour is nearly 60 pounds how is the leaven going to stand a chance against all that flour and to make matters worse? Leaven is usually used negatively in the, in the Bible. And so you see the opposition. You see the hearers of the disciples hearing this and the people all around hearing this too. So Jesus uses these comparisons to paint the appearance. Paint the appearance of the insignificance of his own kingdom. It is small like a, like a mustard seed. It'll be leaving to 60 pounds of flour. I know you feel the opposition too, just as the disciples did. We see the current political status of our world. Perhaps your own family, there is opposition everywhere. And it seems overwhelming, and it is. It should cause us to pray. It should cause us to go into community. It should call, call us to fast. The opposition is great. There's no doubt about it. We could turn on the news right now and a, lot, a whole lot of things happening around us. So much evil. And so the opposition is great. It's sad. However, in the midst of the opposition that Jesus taught his disciples, he continues and gives them hope, and that is our last point, hope. And he gives them hope by interpreting what he meant. 
when he said that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, when he meant by saying the kingdom of God is like leaven. Verse 32 of Matthew chapter 13, he says, It is the smallest of all seeds, talking about the mustard seed. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in it. About the leaven in verse 33, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. What Jesus was telling them is, yes, there is opposition, no doubt. Yes, it's only 12 of you. And that opposition is great and it's overwhelming. Yet the kingdom will prevail. The mustard seed, two millimeters, actually grows into a shrub about 10 to 15 feet tall that functions like a tree because we read here that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. They find refuge in that mustard seed that was once a mustard seed, now a full plant. And, and the leaven, 60 pounds of flour, a little bit of leaven in there, everything leavens out. Everything. And that's really symbolic of the perforation of, 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 the, of the gospel, of the kingdom of God across the whole world. And so, yes, he taught his disciples the kingdom will be small. We will be disadvantaged. We're outnumbered, but it will prevail. And so, this speaks about the kingdom. Something that might have seemed so small and so insignificant has turned into a big deal. We see this. However, the, the, the only reason, the reason why there is hope is not because of us, not because we're, we're good people and go out there and spread the gospel, but rather because of God who preserves and expands his own kingdom. God preserves and expands his own kingdom. So what do you mean by God preserves his kingdom? Well, as we go on in our lives, we can be rest assured that in the grand scope, the scope of things, the kingdom's not going anywhere. Regardless of whatever political you know, forces are in action, the kingdom of God's not going anywhere. When you go on to work, kingdom's not going anywhere. Jesus preserves and protects his kingdom because he is the king of it, and so he protects it. Like a great king, he protects his people. He guards our, our hearts, our minds, and our souls from, from ourselves, from our fallen nature, and from Satan. He is our great protector. He preserves his kingdom. However, there's a stipulation to that. We also have work to do. We got to be rest assured, no doubt, God protects and, and preserves his kingdom, but he also expands his own kingdom. And the primary way in which God chose to expand his kingdom is through the citizens of the kingdom, through you and I. So that's why when Jesus, right before he, leave, he left, chapter 28 of Matthew says, Go therefore and make disciples out of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen.
God expands the kingdom through you. As a matter of fact, there's a really good book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. I, it's, a, it's a cop. If you, if you want it, you should get it. If you read the biography of it, the autobiography of it, you should get it. It talks about the author and everything. But this book, it's really about the martyrs of the Bible and the martyrs after ancient biblical times. However, this author, now, of course, all of this is stipulation, but we have evidence for this. So the author says that the, the disciples took this commandment of Jesus so seriously that they actually dispersed into different parts of the world to go spread the gospel. They took it literal. And, and just, to, just to make things more interesting, we all have heard of Thomas, you know, we, we kind of, uh, we often hear people say, well, yeah, look at Thomas, the guy's funny, you know what I mean? You don't want to be like Thomas. Well, the reality is we are Thomas. Doubters. Yet, we should admire Thomas because he probably went into the most hostile land, India, to make disciples. And he got speared to death on a mountain. And when you look at the, uh, the Google Maps, or when we look at a globe, there's a mountain there named after him, St. Thomas. What a stud. <laughs> and if, that's not, if, if, if you're still not told on that, we had Chris Ryan here. Last week, and he, he, he told us a little bit about himself and all the works and everything that's happening around him, how he lives as a missionary, how he goes out there in China with the underground church. There's an underground church in China. China has turned into an anti-Christian, not atheistic nation, is anti-Christian nation. Yet we have brothers and sisters there growing because God preserves, and God expands his kingdom. You could do it too. Man, why would, why would God ever use someone like me? He can. He uses donkeys and stones. He can. You can go, and it is our duty to fulfill this. That we go out and make disciples, go out and preach the gospel. Well, um, I don't know, a public speaking, I think... How is it public speaking if you're just talking to one person? You could do it. This is a hope. It's an everlasting hope. You could do it. You could go out and, and, and spread the gospel. You know the gospel. You could talk the gospel. But just know that it is a work of the Holy Spirit that dwells, us, dwells in us that, that allows for us to do these things. And, and all of this was accomplished by Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. And so... When Jesus resurrected, I want you to know, church, he defeated death, sin, and Satan all in one blow, one punch. And so, as his kingdom, we are to do the same, day by day. But as we do that, know there's hope. Don't let the... the, the outer contexts of our culture and the, um, the, the political realm thwart you from keep on doing what you're doing. Be faithful to God. He is infinitely way more faithful to us. This is what Jesus was talking about. Oh yeah, 
It's a mustard seed, but it'll be a big shrub. Yeah, it's leaving to 16 pounds of flour, but the leaving will consume the 60 pounds of flour. And so if you're visiting us here and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, you wouldn't. Consider that you've given your life to Christ. We're so honored to have you here. Thank you for being patient and waiting. But we are so convicted by the Bible that we have to speak the truth. And that is that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Apart from him, there is no hope. What are the things that you put your hope in? There is nothing that will satisfy you. The psalmist said that, that God satisfied my soul. We're not promising you that there won't be bad times because they are. Take a look at our friends of China. But, but they have this everlasting hope, this supernatural hope that takes them through those times. Where is yours? Jesus came so that you would Find your hope in him. He said, I am the light of the world. So you, so you don't have to do anything. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't even have to come up here. In your heart, meditate on Jesus. Pray to him. Confess your sin. Repent of your sin. Repentant isn't perfection. It's not. But it is Continuous. It is continuous. So there in, in, in your seat, even you, Christian, ponder what it means to be a citizen of a kingdom. You that are not a Christian, you can also be a citizen of the kingdom. If you just so call, call upon his name, Jesus, and repent and you confess of your sin. For the Christian, there is hope. There's an everlasting hope in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the vastness of your kingdom. We thank you for the everlasting hope that is Jesus. We, we know there's opposition, Lord. We feel it in the inner core of our hearts. We, we feel that opposition. We go on social media. We see that opposition. Within our families, our marriages, we see that opposition. Lord, we would just pray that you continue to remind us of your hope. That you continue to resupply us with faith. We, can, we, we pray that you could continue to help us be faithful to your calling in work. Outside of, uh, of these incubator walls. That you would help us and, and, and lead us to speaking your marvelous gospel. We pray for our, our, our friends around the world. 
whether they be in China, in India, in Greece. We pray that you give, keep on giving them the courage, Lord, and you preserve their, their hearts, minds, emotions, and wills to keep on expanding your kingdom. We pray for provision for them, housing, food, water, Lord. They are workers of your kingdom. Lord, help us be workers of your kingdom as well as we go, Lord. And we pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us. Amen.